Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we study the teachings of the Buddha and on Wednesdays we specifically come together in order to encourage, support, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. On Sundays we're covering one of the chapters in this book and we're coming to the end of our group learning program and we're actually going to be restarting it at the beginning of January. November and December, we're going to be doing some specialized classes during those Sundays, and we'll continue to meet together on Wednesdays in order to do breathing mindfulness meditation and or loving kindness meditation like we're going to be doing today. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class and invite you to join for meditation. After we meditate, we're going to open up to any questions that you might have related to the path to enlightenment. If there's any questions that you're coming across in your practice, this would be an ideal time for you to ask any and all questions. So if you'd like to go ahead and take a meditation position, we can go ahead and get started with our loving kindness meditation. So your lower body should be nice and comfortable and your hands and arms should be resting comfortably in your lap. The Buddha put his right hand on his top of his left and put his thumbs together and then he put that into his lap. That helps to keep the lower body and the hands and arms completely relaxed in your lap. But if you would like to put your palms on your thighs or your knees or palms up or your arms on the armrest of a chair if you're in a chair, those are all fine as well. With your lower body and your hands and arms completely relaxed, you'd like to keep your upper body erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. And this keeps the mind attentive and alert so that that way you can then actively train the mind during the meditation session. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing into the nose and out of the nose. Here, you're just starting to establish the breath of a nice, gradual, natural inhale. And then whenever you get to it, a nice, gradual exhale through the nose. You can hang out here, establishing the breath, or you can join in the chanting. And then after the chants, I will come back with some more guidance. Ara-ham-sam-ho-to-yam-ma-ke-wa-po-tang-ma-ke-wan-hang-api-wa-te-yam-yin. 
part of our meditation is going to be breathing mindfulness meditation. Here we're just establishing the breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in in out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match with the guidance that I'm providing because this is your practice. I'm just here to remind you, just provide a guidance. So wherever you get to the next inhale, take a nice gradual breath, breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then whenever you get to your exhale, you just breathe out gradually through the nose, experiencing the full exhale. Breathing in and out. With the breath well established, 
Start fixating the mind on the breath, on the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to judge the thought no need to analyze it, no need to label it or try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, just cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in, in, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of breathing mindfulness meditation. And then I'll come back with some guidance on loving kindness meditation. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Whenever you get to the out breath, repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May my parents, grandparents, and elders in the family be peaceful. safe. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
me my boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, life partner, brothers, sisters, all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my children, nieces and nephews, all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who I come into contact with today be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. with today. Be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes.
May all beings, no matter where they reside, be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Now move back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind is off the breath. Breathing in,
วะผู้ตั้งมหาเควันหังอภิวาเตมีสวัสดาตัมหาเควัตตัมโมดามังนามสามสุปฏิปันโนมหาเควัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังขังนามามินับบอระสาภะเควโตอาราโตสมมาสัมพุตัสสะนับบอระสาภะเควโตอาราโตสมมาสัมพุตัสสะนับบอระสาภะเควโตอาราโตสมมาสัมพุตัสสะอิติปิสุมาเกวาอรหังสมมาสัมโตวิชาจารณังสัมโนสกาตโรกาวิโตอนุเตโรภุริสาดามาสติสัตตาตาวามานุสนังภุตโตภะคะวะติโอเคถ้าคุณอยากจะกระจายความรู้สึกออกไปในการปฏิบัติการวัลกุมทุกคนที่ได้สมัครเข้ามาตั้งแต่เริ่มปฏิบัติการถ้าคุณกำลังสมัครเข้ามาตั้งแต่เริ่มปฏิบัติการฉันจะแนะนำให้คุณสมัครเข้ามาตั้งแต่เริ่มปฏิบัติการที่เราทำอยู่ในการปฏิบัติการนี้ไม่ได้เพื่อแตกแยกคนไม่ได้เพื่อแตกแยกคนไม่ได้เพื่อแตกแยกคนไม่ได้Trying to convince other people to change, or somehow attempting to change other people through our meditation. Instead, this meditation is to transform our mind, your mind. When you are repeating those affirmations, or when you're doing this on your own, and you're saying those affirmations on your own, you're developing the loving kindness, the genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. The active goodwill without judgment. You're developing that in your mind towards other beings, so that now when you interact with them, your intention, speech, and actions can emanate from this loving kindness. So sometimes what 
a practitioner might think is that this meditation is like a prayer or somehow trying to change other people or somehow trying to incentivize some being or some force to come and change others. But this isn't actually possible. The way that improvements in the world come about is through cultivation of wisdom and then making wise decisions. And if the mind is angered and hateful and having ill will, then that comes out in our intentions, our speech, and our actions. There's bitterness, there's aggressiveness, there's hostility. And then when you put that out through your intention, speech, and actions, that's what ends up coming back to you. Because if you treat other people with aggressiveness, with hostility, with bitterness, all of these things are affecting and impacting other people. And then those people and others around them and around you are going to see that that's the way that you treat others. And then they're going to treat you that way, most likely. So it's important that you purge all of this and eliminate the intention, speech, and actions that might come out of hatred or anger or ill will. And the way that you do that is you cultivate this loving kindness in the mind through meditation. And then in your daily life, you practice right intention, right speech, and right action from the Eightfold Path where you can then emanate your intentions or your thinking or your thoughts, your speech or the way you communicate in written or spoken communication, and your bodily actions can all emanate from this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. You're not going to be able to snap the fingers and instantly be able to do that with everybody. Where you have attachment, where you have craving, desire, attachment in your relationships, it's going to be a real struggle for you to have this loving kindness in all situations. There's going to probably be some amount of anger and hostility and aggression and bitterness, animosity, resentment towards other people. But slowly but surely, you wear this away as if you were taking a cloth and you're rubbing a stone. And slowly but surely, you're rubbing that stone and you're wearing it away. And that's what you're doing in meditation, wearing away that ill will. And you're doing that in daily life through your intention, speech, and actions. You're arising this loving kindness in the mind, filling the mind up with this loving kindness, allowing it to permeate so that now when you interact with others, you can do that in a very wholesome way, a very wise way. And as you're knocking down that craving, desire, attachment towards other people, and you're learning how to love all beings without attachment, by dropping down and eliminating the craving, desire, attachment, and arising the wholesome qualities of loving kindness, now you'll be able to interact with people in a much more loving way, and then they'll interact with you in that way as well because that's your gamma. That's the results of your decisions. Cause and effect or action and result. That's the results of your decisions. Your wise decisions to train your mind and transform it away from anger, hatred, and ill will means that as you're now practicing loving kindness and this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, other people observe that through your intention, speech, and actions. And now that's what will be coming back to you. Not that you're expecting that. That's not what you're waiting for. And it's not that every single person in the world's going to treat you that way. Because of impermanence, there's going to be occasional people, even when you're enlightened, there's going to be occasional people that treat you in unfortunate ways. But by that time, if your mind's liberated, it won't affect you. But for the most part, 
once you get to enlightenment and as you're building up your practice, more and more people around you are going to be practicing in such a way that there's just loving kindness and compassion. People are going to be treating you very differently than what they might be treating you now. Or you'll choose to move on. You'll choose to leave those relationships behind and you'll choose to move on and create new relationships where you are treating people with loving kindness and they're treating you in the same way. Okay, so this class, after we do our meditation, I usually open up to any questions that you might have. You're welcome to put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. You can raise your hand electronically in Zoom, and you can ask any questions that you like, whether it's about meditation or any aspect of this path to enlightenment, anything that you've learned in this program, anything that you've read in any of the materials or any of the classes that I've talked about, or even things that you're hearing in other places. If you're having challenges in your personal life and how to apply these teachings into certain situations, you can also ask questions about those as well. So I'll turn things over to you guys and see what questions you might have. Thank you, teacher David. On Facebook, Tonka asks, would it be correct to say that everything is experienced in the mind, including bodily sensations? The mind is the boss and the body is the employee. So the mind is like the CPU of the computer, right? It's the central processing unit. That's where everything comes into the mind. So everything is experienced through the mind. Those bodily sensations, the body is just the employee. It's following along whatever is in the mind. So whatever's going on in the mind, the body is going to follow along and it's going to experience that. So if there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, then it's going to arise discontentedness, either those conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. And prior to the feelings coming into the mind, there's going to be bodily sensations in the body. That's coming from the mind. Because of the craving, desire, attachment, the mind is now about to arise this discontentedness and you're going to start feeling, you know, tingling in the body, you're going to start feeling cramping in the stomach or pain rising up from the feet or heat in the body. There's different things. Each individual is going to experience something unique. So when you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation, you're arising mindfulness or awareness of mind so that then in daily life, you're aware that this anger is about to arise and you can clue into those bodily sensations. For me, when I used to get angry, it was like tingling from the feet coming up towards the head. I would feel heat sometimes if it was really intense anger that was about to arise, or I would feel even some pressure in the head, like the heat would come up into the face and into the head and I would feel this pressure. So that was what I observed in terms of bodily sensations, but not everybody's going to experience those exact same things. So you need to clue into what are those bodily sensations that are coming that when there's pleasant feelings that are about to arise, there's some bodily sensations that are going to arise. And I used to get tingling in the neck and in the, in the head and almost feeling like, you know, like almost like this this wave of pleasantness coming into the mind, right? And then depending on what type of painful feeling, right? If there was certain painful feelings like guilt or shame or fear, there would be different 
bodily sensations than with anger. Or if there was shyness, there would be different bodily sensations. But all of that is coming from the mind because the mind is what has the craving desire attachment. And then the body is just following along because it's the employee. The mind is the boss. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, I have a question that is what I've, I've, I've seen different people who teach different meditations for the Brahma Viharas. And uh, I know that the one that the Buddha taught and that you teach is loving kindness. I was wondering what the role is on loving kindness in helping to cultivate the other three. The other three get arisen through applying right effort in a certain situation. Loving kindness, of course, has arose through meditation. And then you have to actively arise that in daily life where you see the anger, hatred, ill will, or those lesser versions of frustration, irritation, annoyance arising. If you know with wisdom, the antidote to that is loving kindness. Then whenever you're cutting off and letting go of the anger, hatred, ill will, and those lesser versions, then at the same time, you're working to arise the loving kindness. And this is what ultimately moves the anger, hatred, it will out. It's almost like a tube of toothpaste, like you're you're pulling in the loving kindness in order to eliminate the anger, hatred, and ill will. The compassion tends to go along with that from the Brahma Viharas, you know, even though it's not a, a direct meditation that you're doing, but compassion is a concern for the misfortune of others. When you're arising this loving kindness, the compassion tends to kind of come along with it. But still, you need to arise that in daily life where you see that your mind is indifferent and you don't care about other people and you're just kind of blowing people off or what have you. Then you need to actively arise the compassion where you have this concern for the misfortune of others. There's not a meditation that the Buddha taught in order to arise that. It's just through active effort, applying right effort, of cutting off the indifference and the lack of interest of seeing others be well and having that concern for misfortune. When you see the lack of that, then you arise that in your daily life. And then the third one is sympathetic joy. This is where you have joy for other success, even if you didn't contribute to it. So the opposite of that is jealousy or envy. So where you see jealousy and envy arising in the mind, no matter what is going on, no matter what the situation is, somebody gets a new car, a new house, they get an award at work, someone gets more money for their job or their income, they get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is that your mind is envious about, somebody taking a holiday or a vacation and you wish you could take one, instead, you cut that off, that jealousy and envy, and you arise this sympathetic joy of, oh, you're going on holiday. Oh, you know, have a great time. Enjoy yourself. Even though inside you might be jealous and envious, like, I wish I could go. I don't have that money. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability to do that. You might be thinking that in the mind, but more and more you cut that off and you just say, oh, have a great time, have a wonderful time. And you start learning that the mind kind of builds this new wiring that instead of being jealous and envious, it now moves to this sympathetic joy where it has this joy for other success, even though you didn't contribute to it. And then the equanimity, the fourth one of the Brahma Viharas, 
This is where you have calmness and composure, evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations. And the other part of that is treating others fairly, treating all beings fairly. So since you know that equanimity is calmness, composure, evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations, then you shouldn't ever allow the mind to go up into that excited state because that's based on a conditioned feeling where you see the mind running away from you and going into that conditioned excitement and conditioned happiness and thrill, euphoria, then you cut that off and bring it back. You practice the equanimity, the tranquility, the calmness, the composure, the concentration and bringing the mind back away from that excitement and those pleasant feelings into the middle. And then the same thing is when you see the mind going into those painful feelings of sadness, of anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, even those boredom and loneliness or anything like that, then you cut that off and let it go and you bring the mind back to the middle of that calmness, the composure, the evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations. So you're using right mindfulness, which is awareness of mind, and more specifically, the four foundations of mindfulness, bodily sensations, feelings, condition of the mind, and mental objects. You're becoming more and more aware of those as you meditate and you see them in daily life. And then when you see that the mind is not in the middle, then you cut that off and let it go and you bring the mind to equanimity, calmness and composure. And one of the things that you start to understand with the Brahma Vihara is, is you understand the opposites, right? So the opposite of loving kindness is the anger, hatred, ill will. So whenever you see that, it's like that's the symptom, that's the problem. The antidote is loving kindness. It's almost like a medication. It's almost like a prescription. And you know that indifference about others' life is the opposite of compassion. So wherever you see the mind being indifferent, right away you cut that off and you know the antidote is compassion. And then when you see the mind jealous and envious, you know that that's the problem, that's the unwholesome quality. You cut that off and let it go and you arise sympathetic joy. And then the same thing with equanimity, that whenever you know that the mind is not in the middle and the mind is experiencing a difficult situation, then you arise this equanimity. So say you get a phone call that your child at school has gotten into a fight or broke their arm or got injured in some way, or you know you get a call from your boss about something that's happened. Right away, when you hear difficult situation, when you think difficult situation, you should trigger the mind, calmness, composure. Because when you allow the mind to run away into excitement and pleasant feelings, or it goes into these painful feelings, the mind's not calm, which means you can't practice awareness of mind or mindfulness, and you can't practice concentration. And when you can't practice calmness, mindfulness, and concentration, then you can't access wisdom, which means in this difficult situation, if you can't access wisdom, you're only gonna make the situation worse. So when you're in a difficult situation, no matter what the mind's struggling with, whether it's a phone call from somebody else or it's just something that you've come across in your own life, in your own day, whenever you're experiencing that difficult situation, just stop, pause, think calmness, composure, evenness of temper, 
You know, you just bring the mind to calmness because that's what's going to allow you to now access wisdom and make wise decisions to resolve this difficult situation. If you allow the mind to run away from you, you're not going to be able to resolve this difficult situation because the uncalmness is going to ultimately hinder the mind from being able to access wisdom. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. It looks like Chris Rice has a question on Zoom. Hi, teacher David. I, a lot of the extreme feelings that I was feeling before, a lot of them for the most, most part have settled down. But when I spend time reflecting, I often feel a lot of subtle feelings. And the interesting thing is that it, it's not just one feeling, but it's a large array of anything from sadness, anger, frustration, stress, anxiety, or excitement. And it's very subtle that I almost don't feel it but when I recognize it, I just say what it is, I become more aware of it. Now, what I'm wondering is, how effective is it just to sit and 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 say the subtle feelings that I feel? Is that how, how much, how, what percentage of the practice does that account for? Just being able to recognize the feelings, the subtle feelings that I, I feel. The recognition of the feelings is part of mindfulness and right mindfulness because what right mindfulness is is generally just really simply is awareness of mind and that's what i usually teach people when they first get started but then when you get deeper into it i start teaching you about the four foundations of mindfulness because you need to be aware of all four things so if you're aware of the feelings okay but what you would like to do is get to the point where you're aware of the bodily sensations that are occurring before the feelings happen because the four foundations of mindfulness are essentially explaining to you the life cycle of what is experienced when discontentedness is arising when discontentedness is going to arise the first thing that's going to happen is bodily sensations you may or may not even be noticing this in the past you may be just blew right past those didn't even know they existed and went right into feelings which is the second one right away that mine is just angry but there's something happening before that that you need to clue into which is the bodily sensations and that's where you would like to cut off and let go because then you save the mind a whole lot of difficulties and troubles that it never experiences this feeling of anger for example so if you can cut it off at the bodily sensations it's like if you were in a boat crossing the ocean you would like to prevent the water from ever coming into the boat you don't want the water to come into the boat and then try to get it out. It's a lot harder that way. What you're trying to do is keep the water out of the boat. And that's what the bodily sensations are. So that's an indication to you. That's a warning light that discontentedness is about to arise. So you would like to cut that off and let it go there. But if you miss it there or you don't have the ability to cut it off there, if you don't have the robustness of your practice yet to be aware of it and let it go, then it's going to become a feeling in the mind. No big deal, it's a feeling. Okay, now there's frustration or there's annoyance or what have you. Try to cut it off and let it go there and oftentimes redirecting the mind to something else. If you need to sit and reflect and do breathing mindfulness meditation, you can try that. But oftentimes it's better to just redirect the mind somewhere else and just move in an opposite direction to cut it off and let it go. Because if you miss it as a feeling and you're not able to cut it off there, 
then it's going to move to the third part of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is it's going to affect the condition of the mind for multiple hours or maybe days. You've probably experienced this where you've been angry for multiple days or maybe even multiple weeks. There's even people that are angry for multiple years about certain situations. You can cut it off as a condition of mind. You can cut it off there. If you don't get it there, then it's feeding this mental object. The mental object is the fourth aspect of the four foundations of mindfulness. It's like a container. It's like a cardboard box and you're filling up this cardboard box. So one of these cardboard boxes is ill will, okay? We aren't born with ill will when we are born. A child, an infant, a toddler doesn't have ill will. It is developed over time that there's craving, desire, attachment. I want my toy. I want my bottle. I want my mom. I want my dad. I want something. And I get it. So I get pleasant feelings. And then when I don't get it, I get painful feelings. I get angry. I get frustrated. And now there's those bodily sensations. There's the feelings that come into the mind. There's the condition of the mind it gets affected more long term and now it creates and forms and feeds this mental object and because we're so young we don't understand this we don't have the wisdom of this and it's just this cycle that keeps repeating we crave we get what we want we get pleasant feelings we don't get what we want we get painful feelings and this craving desire attachment is creating these conditioned feelings and we're getting these bodily sensations, we're getting these feelings, we're affecting the condition of the mind, and now it's feeding this mental object. And now that mental object becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And what we're doing is we're applying something like loving kindness meditation to break up this mental object. It's like a jackhammer trying to break up this mental object and get rid of this ill will. And in the meantime, with mindfulness, We're trying to be aware sooner and sooner of those bodily sensations so that we can cut it off and let it go there so we're no longer feeding this mental object. Because while we're breaking up this mental object, we don't want to keep feeding it and helping it to grow. So we're trying to cut it off at the bodily sensations or at the feelings or at the condition of the mind. But in order to get to enlightenment, You need to get to the point where you have awareness of the bodily sensations and you can cut it off and let it go there. Allowing it to still become feelings, the mind isn't going to get to enlightenment. But this is a gradual process of gradually becoming aware of these four foundations, becoming aware and having that mindfulness of it, and then being able to take action and applying right effort to cut it off and let it go. So this is where in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're more and more readily becoming aware of the four foundations of mindfulness, of the bodily sensations, the feelings, the condition of the mind, the mental objects. You're building that awareness of the mind, that you're aware when the mind is off the breath, and you're developing the ability to cut it off and let it go. So that then in daily life, when you observe those bodily sensations, you can cut it off and let it go. That's the ideal. But there's going to be this gradual transition where gradually you're going to need to become more and more aware of those bodily sensations. You know, so you might start out with these really strong feelings when you're on this path. And as you're learning more and more, those become muted. They become more and more muted, more and more 
calm more and more diminished. And you might go through this long period of just being quietly frustrated or irritated or having this little bit of ickiness, those subtle feelings that you were talking about. It's not quite strong the way it was in the past, but there's still this kind of ickiness and this unsettledness, this unsatisfactoriness that's coming into the mind. So what you're trying to do is get more and more aware of that with mindfulness sooner and sooner so you can cut it off easier and easier and eventually you'll get to the point even that slight little dissatisfaction in the mind isn't there the mind is just permanently peaceful calm serene and content with joy but those wholesome qualities and the the qualities of enlightenment are going to gradually increase and then the unwholesome qualities and that ickiness that unsatisfactoriness is going to gradually decrease as you make your way closer and closer to enlightenment. It's like the light bulb is flickering and showing you more and more of a glimpses of these qualities of the enlightened mind. And as the light bulb's going out on the unwholesome side, it's also flickering. You're gonna have periods where it seems like things are pretty calm, pretty settled, but then boom, something flares up. So that's the process of what you're doing and what you would like to work towards and understanding that that is a process. You can't snap the fingers and have it happen instantly. Are the bodily sensations, is that is that the energy we feel in the body as some people describe as the inner body? Is, is that it? I don't describe it as energy or inner body. I don't use those words. I describe it as bodily sensations. This is the way that the Buddha described it as well. It's bodily sensations. So you're going to feel some bodily sensations. For example, we say things like when someone's shy, we might say, oh, they have butterflies in their stomach. Well, they feel queasy in their stomach. They don't truly have butterflies in their stomach. They just feel kind of queasy in the stomach, right, for some people. Depending on what feelings you're encountering based on your craving, desire, attachments, you're going to have certain bodily sensations associated with anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, stress, anxiety, happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. All of these individual feelings are going to produce different bodily sensations for each individual person. So I can share with you the ones that I used to feel when I had these things, but that might not be the exact same feelings that you feel when you experience anger, for example. So you've got to clue your mind in and become more and more aware. That's what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation, becoming more aware of the mind and being able to cut off and let go, as well as building concentration. But then in daily life, as these feelings are arising, you need to be very attentive to what's going on. And that's where your practice is really a full-time job. See, some people think that getting to enlightenment is all about meditation and they just spend all this time meditating, meditating, meditating. Okay, meditation's important, but it's only one step. It's actually only one portion of one step on the Eightfold Path. But the work is not only in meditation, but it's outside of meditation too in daily life. So when you're on a phone call, when you're driving down the street, when you're talking to people, the Buddha talks about practicing mindfulness all the time. 
This is where people think they're meditating all the time, but you can't meditate all the time. It's not possible. What you're really doing is you're practicing mindfulness or awareness of mind, no matter what you're doing. Even when you're eating, you're just sitting there eating food by yourself. You are aware of the mind and what's going on. And if your mind's bombarded with thoughts while you're eating, then you know that. You haven't done anything wrong, but you just try to cut that off and let it go. And if you can't, then okay, well, the mind's just going to be bombarded with thoughts while you eat. And that's what you do. So you just practice this mindfulness and getting used to always being aware of what's going on in the mind. This isn't what we do in the unenlightened state. When the mind is in the darkness and the consciousness is polluted, we don't have awareness of mind. And this is where we say things that are inappropriate. This is where we do things that are unwise and inappropriate and we cause more harm to ourselves and we cause harm to others because our mind is polluted and it has this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, and it's not practicing awareness of mind. And then sometimes we pollute the mind with substances that cause heedlessness, where it makes the problem even worse, where we don't have mindfulness and awareness of mind because of the substances that we take and ingest. So when you clear all of these things out, then this allows you to have mindfulness much more readily. This is why even going to the point where you eliminate caffeine from your diet is so important. And this is why going to the point where you eliminate meat, if you ultimately get to that point where you can eliminate meat, because meat and flesh nowadays have drugs, hormones, and toxins in them that is polluting your ability to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is so important. That's why it's really a buzzword in today's society, but not everybody is really describing mindfulness in the way that the Buddha did. The Buddha describes it as awareness of mind and having awareness of these four foundations of mindfulness. You need to be practicing those every day, all day, from the moment that you're starting to awaken out of your sleep all day long, And even as you're dozing off to sleep, the Buddha talks about this, that even when you're lying down, dozing off to sleep, he says, be sure you're aware of the mind because your thoughts can invade you while you're trying to fall asleep. Unwholesome thoughts can invade the mind. Uh, You can even have all these conditioned pleasant feelings as you're falling asleep, which makes it hard for you to fall asleep. So the Buddha talks about mindfulness as you awake all day long and as you go to sleep because that's what's the guard or the protection of the mind. Ultimately, you'll be able to do this effortlessly. But as you first get going with it, and for quite a while, it's a lot of work to arise this mindfulness and be plugged into the mind to this level of degree all the time throughout your entire day. But ultimately, you get to the point where you're able to do this effortlessly and you have the enlightenment factor of energy where you're not complacent and you pay attention to the mind. You're attentive to the mind all day long. And as you do that more and more readily, initially there's struggles, some difficulties for many months, maybe even a few years as you're building up your mindfulness. But then you get to the point where you're just effortlessly always aware of the mind and that's your guard and your protection so that wherever you see anything unwholesome you cut that off and let it go and then eventually you get to the point where none of that stuff is even arising in the mind and the mind is just always peaceful calm serene content with joy you've done the work the buddha says you've done what had to be done 
right? You've done all this work. And now you get to enjoy the benefits of the enlightened mind because once the mind is fully enlightened or completely enlightened, then there's no more work. I mean, you'll still maintain your practice with meditation, but there's no more work to practice mindfulness because you're just always mindful. Your mind's already doing that naturally. There's no more work to pay attention to the bodily sensations because you've already eliminated all your craving, desire, attachment. So there are no more bodily sensations that are arising discontentedness. You're no longer having to actively move the mind to the middle and actively concentrate because the mind's just doing that all the time naturally by itself because you've purified the mind of all the pollutants. So now it just functions as an enlightened mind readily and easily and effortlessly. So if, if in regards to cutting off bodily sensations, is the first step becoming fully mindful of the bodily sensations? And if that's the first step, what's the second step that involves cutting it off? How, how, how do you go? How does it, how can I go from becoming completely mindful of bodily sensations to actually cutting them off, teacher David? Sure. So the bodily sensations and being aware of those is the ideal. The Buddha talks about someone who's aware of the bodily sensations and is easily able to cut off and let go of the arising bodily sensations, which is arising discontentedness that's on the way. And he says, when you're aware of the bodily sensations, you can easily cut it off and let it go there. You're close to enlightenment. So while you're describing it as the first step, that's actually something that gets developed as you become more aware of the mind. Typically, people become aware of the condition of the mind, the feelings of the mind. They start becoming aware more and more of the feelings. And then they start readily getting a handle on these bodily sensations and start becoming aware of the bodily sensations. And then as you do, the way that you're becoming aware of these four foundations of mindfulness is in your meditation practice. Your breathing mindfulness meditation practice is a rising awareness of mind because as you're focusing on the breath, the mind has to become more and more aware of the breath, readily aware of the breath. And it has to become more and more aware when it's off the breath. So there's this awareness, 30 minutes or more per session, two or three times a day. So for an hour, hour and a half a day, in meditation, you're arising this mindfulness and awareness of mind. And then that carries with you in daily life. This is why frequency is actually more important than the time or duration. So if somebody was only at 10 or 15 minutes meditation per session, but they were doing it two or three times a day, this is going to be more impactful than doing one 30-minute session or one 45 minute session, because you would like to arise mindfulness in the morning and kind of get the mind kind of cluing in on mindfulness. You're kind of oiling the mind, kind of exercising it a bit, getting some mindfulness coming into the mind. And now four to six hours throughout your day, you're got that mindfulness, but then it's starting to diminish because your mind's not enlightened yet. So then in the middle of the day, you arise some mindfulness again, kind of get the mind moving on all four cylinders. And now you carry that with you for four, six, eight hours. And then in the evening, you do another breathing mindfulness meditation to arise some mindfulness. So you're arising this mindfulness more and more, and you're cluing into those bodily sensations, feelings, condition of the mind, and the mental objects. And as you're in meditation and you observe that the mind is off the breath, you're cutting that off and letting it go. 
cutting it off and letting it go. You might be doing that 100 times, 300 times, 500 times in one particular meditation, depending on how many thoughts are coming to the mind. So you're getting more and more used to, as you accumulate the benefits in breathing mindfulness meditation, to cut off and let go. So now in daily life, with that mindfulness and awareness of mind, when you observe that the mind is having anger or there's these bodily sensations that are coming, I know what those are. That's the anger that's about to arise. Cut that off and let it go. You get easier and easier to be able to spot it as bodily sensations and it gets easier and easier to let it go because you're training it in meditation. So it's the meditation that's the daily training of cutting off all thoughts. You're not trying to eliminate thoughts. You're just arising this mindfulness, awareness of mind and the four foundations. You're arising this concentration or this focus, this single object of the breath, and you're training the mind to let go, eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. But then in daily life, you're only cutting off and letting go of the unwholesome thoughts. Because if a wholesome thought comes to mind in daily life, you go ahead, you follow that, right? You're interested in improving your life somehow or doing something with friends or family. Okay, you allow that wholesome thought to come into the mind. You think about it, you contemplate it, and now you make a decision about what you're going to do. But if you have an unwholesome thought come into the mind, an unwise thought, cut that off and let it go. And you observe that through the bodily sensations. And then eventually you get to the point where the mind's so purified, you don't ever experience any unwholesome thoughts whatsoever. And that's where the mind is now enlightened. You'll experience a year, two or three of not having any discontentedness, no unwholesome thoughts. The mind is just completely purified and is functioning with this high degree of focus, concentration, clarity of mind and deep memory. And it never regresses back from that. So it's becoming aware of all four foundations of mindfulness in meditation and in meditation, training the mind to cut off and let go. And then outside of meditation, still aware of the mind, that's your guard, that's guarding the mind, and then only cutting off and let go of the unwholesome thoughts that arise. Thank you, teacher David, that helps a lot. You're very welcome, Thank sir. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Teacher David. You may have already answered this question, but Tonka asks, so there is no benefit in analyzing the feelings, just cut it off? When they're actually happening, cut them off and let them go. Cut them off and let them go. You would like to just let it go. Because as long as you allow it to come into the mind as feelings, and then you sit there and analyze it and try to figure it out, this is allowing the water to come into the boat. Your boat's going to sink right? As long as those feelings are coming into the mind, then it's going to start affecting the condition of mind and it's going to feed this mental object. You're trying to cut off this whole process at the bodily sensations. So cut it off and let it go. And then an hour later, a day later, two days later, if you would like to sit and reflect, the mind's joyful, the mind's peaceful. What was that that arose that frustration? And then you think about it. Ah, that craving for whatever, right? And then you realize you have a craving for something. And then you put a plan in place to eliminate that craving. Because the breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity is there to train the mind to generally let go. And that's what it's doing. It's, it's gradually being trained to let go. But then there's active steps that you can take in order to eliminate discontentedness. Let me just give you one from my life that I, I remember. 
I remember one time leaving the house and I forgot my mobile phone and I was driving down the road and I was about five minutes from my house. I was like, oh my goodness, my phone, I don't have it. Where is it? Ah, and I got all this fear. This fear rushed into the mind. Boom, cut that off and let it go, right? Let it go, get it out of there. And then I'm driving, you know, just headed wherever I'm heading. 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, I'm at the mall and I was like, what was that? Ah, I'm craving the phone. I want the phone to be permanent and it's not permanent. I can't permanently have it with me. So then I was like, all right, tomorrow when I leave the house, I'm going to purposefully leave it at home. And I did that many times over the course of a few weeks, like every other day or every three days, I would leave it at home purposefully. And I would train the mind that it can go outside and it can conduct itself without this phone, that this phone isn't permanent and I can be completely safe. I can be fine. I don't need anything. I even gave my wife a heads up that, hey, I'm training my mind this way. If you call me and I don't answer, you know, no worries. I just don't have the phone with me. So this is what you do is when you're driving down the road and you see the fear, cut that off and let it go. Cut that off and let it go, right? Bring the mind back to the middle. And then whenever the mind gains its composure, right, that equanimity, when it gains that composure, that calmness, that evenness of temper, then you can analyze, what was it? Oh my goodness, I'm attached to that silly phone. All right, well, I've got to put this plan in place to leave the phone at home. And then you do this with each individual thing and you eliminate your attachments. And you essentially have to process all of these attachments. You have to go through this work. You have to do this work, but you have to have the wisdom of how to do the work first. And that's what your teacher is helping you to understand. Somebody that's done the work, that's the person that's going to be able to guide you how to do that work. So as you become aware, you do this work, you apply this practice, you apply this wisdom, and it's like peeling an onion. You have to peel back each one of these attachments. They're not going to just naturally fall away. They don't automatically fall away. You need to actively work to train the mind. So where you see the mind is having discontentedness, that's where you eliminate it through applying practice. If I can use an example from some of our lives, because this is one that Tonka, you and I have talked about too, is that relationships tend to be places where there's a lot of attachment. If we have children, if we have life partners, if we have friends or family, mothers, fathers, things like this, there can be a lot of attachment. And we can get in the habit of always spending time with our child or always going to our child's house for dinner. Every Wednesday, we go to our child's house for dinner. Or every Monday, I call my mom or something like this. There's like this repeated schedule or every week, I'm going to see my girlfriend or every week, I'm going to see my boyfriend or something like this where you see the mind longing and yearning for that and wanting that contact every week, every week, while it's going to be a little bit painful, you need to spread that out and be like, you know what? The mind wants to see my girlfriend every week, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see her in two weeks or him in two weeks, or my mind wants to go see my children or my grandchildren every week. And I just got to be there. And that's like the source of happiness in my life is seeing my children and my grandchildren every single week. So now that you see those pleasant feelings 
arising. And then when you can't go, you're getting this anger, this frustration. This is just the mind stuck in this cycle of craving. If it gets what it wants, pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get what it wants, painful feelings. So where you observe that there's that craving, that attachment to your child or your grandchildren or your partners or whoever, then you implement some impermanence where when the mind wants to go every week, you don't let it and you sprace it out and you spread it out so that you don't go see them every week until the point where you observe that the mind has eliminated this craving desire attachment then you don't have to actively work on it so much it's like peeling this onion once you get the layers peeled back and they're peeled back and they're gone then once that craving desire attachment is eliminated it will never arise discontentedness ever again But as long as we keep going to see our children every week or we go see our grandchildren every week or our boyfriend or girlfriend every week, as long as we keep allowing the mind to do that and it keeps holding on, then it's just going to keep getting discontent. The layer is still there. We haven't let it go yet. So it's not until we let it go and peel back this onion that then the mind becomes liberated from these strong feelings. And this is an active plan that you put in place when you observe that there's certain discontentedness. The discontentedness in the mind, the feelings, as well as the bodily sensations, and even the condition of mind, this is the red light on the dashboard of the car warning you, hey, there's something wrong here. You've got some craving, desire, attachment somewhere. So where you see bodily sensations, feelings, condition of mind, this is the warning light, like on the dashboard of your car, telling you something's wrong. And you're going to cut that off and let it go, cut that off and let it go, cut that off and let it go. But then at some point, you'd like to pull over to the side of the road and investigate this and figure out what is the craving desire attachments that are causing this. And then once you discover it, if you need help, you reach out to your teacher for help to ensure you're fully looking at all of this. And then once you identify, sometimes it's more than one then you can put this active plan in place to eliminate it. And now it's like this garbage heap that you're slowly kind of whittling it away, whittling it away, getting down to solid ground. And then eventually, once all this garbage and pollution is cleared out of the mind, it will no longer experience any discontentedness because you've worked through all of those craving desire attachments. They're no longer in the mind and they're no longer causing any discontentedness. Thank you, Teacher David. It looks like we have no more questions at this time. All right. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class. Thank you for your questions. I can tell you guys are diving into the learning and the practice through your questions. And this helps me to understand where you are. And you can't ask a book questions. You can't ask a YouTube video questions, except for maybe in the comments, right? So these classes and the personal guidance and the retreats, the in-person classes, all of these things are here for you. Even the posting in the Facebook group, all of these things are here for you to reach out. But remember, it's your independent practice. You're doing the work, right? Your teacher is here as a guide to help you. So wherever you need help, you can reach out with the Facebook post, the questions in class, the personal messages, the personal guidance. You're always welcome to reach out for any of these things. On Sunday, we're going to be in the frequently asked questions section of the book. This is the very last content at the very end of the book. There's 11 frequently asked questions there that I'm going to go through and teach you in detail. So you're welcome to join for that class. 
And then on Wednesday next week, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. And then not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to be covering a topic that's not in volume one. That's the very last kind of official class of the group learning program. So now that I've taught for six and a half, seven months of what leads to enlightenment and how to attain enlightenment, the very last class that I teach as part of the group learning program is the five hindrances to enlightenment. What is going to hinder you from getting to enlightenment? Now that you know how to get there through all the teachings that I shared over six and a half, seven months, what's the hindrances? So that's what we'll be doing. And then we'll move into those retreat classes, November and December, before we restart the whole program in January again. So thank you all for joining for today's class. We'll see you in a future class. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. Sawadiha. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.